0: All runners announce their entry into the sport with the most basic athletic action. A step. A simple foot plant that leads to thousands upon millions more. Some faster, some slower. At home and around the world, in sun, blizzard, and driving rain. On pavement, dirt, mud, gravel, sand, loam, grass. Oval all-weather tracks with eight lanes that measure exactly 400 meters around and freshly scrubbed Pamplona cobblestones. A splendid step. A quiet step. A lonely step. Born of some inner dialogue, some longing to be different, to be not the best, but at least better. The step takes less than a second. Doubts are silenced in that whisper of time. Lives are changed. Almost every modern runner, even now, can trace his or her first step to 1967, when a Dallas physician named Dr. Kenneth H. Cooper published Aerobics. And so can I. Aerobics was Running's version of Mao's Little Red Book, a revolutionary tome that spawned a movement and made us all see the world in a different way. It was as if the sun came up navy blue instead of orange one morning then stayed that way evermore. Aerobics has become synonymous with nylon, lycra, and synchronized group exercise set to pulsating synthesized music. There are substrata of aerobics, like high-impact and low-impact and body-pump and even spinning, which is basically aerobics on a stationary bike. Thanks to aerobics, there was such a garment as the Performance Thong, sold by Nike, Which may or may not have been effective workout apparel, but whose name offers one of the more inspired word pairings in the English language. But back in 1967, aerobics, the term refers to oxygen consumption, meant just one thing running. Dr. Cooper believed that a workout stressing the heart and lungs was an effective means of staying fit and a way to prevent keeling over at 40 from a massive clogging of the arteries with this simple premise packaged into his best-selling book. Running ceased to be the sole domain of Olympians, fitness zealots, and men like Mercury astronaut John Glenn, who was considered eccentric for running three miles each day. As all this was happening, my dad was a bomber pilot with a fondness for Spanish cigars and Bombay gin. He was also in danger of being pulled off flight status due to a recently collapsed lung. In desperation, he took up aerobics. We lived at Bunker Hill, an Air Force base in Indiana, soon to be renamed in memory of hard-luck Apollo astronaut Gus Grissom. The base gym was sponsoring a 100-mile club in order to encourage running, with members' names posted on a laminated board near the towel window. For each mile run, a staff member would add a tally mark in red grease pencil next to that member's name. A hundred red marks and you were in the club. I can't remember whether there was a t-shirt to commemorate the achievement or a next level for the truly ambitious, but at the time running one hundred miles was a very big deal. The club filled up quickly, which is to say that the board from top to bottom was lined with names and red marks accumulated horizontally to resemble a bar graph. My folks both signed up. They would run two to three miles at a time, ten laps for a mile around the gym's laminated wooden basketball floor. My little brother Matt and I would play beneath the fold-out bleachers as they ran, always keeping one eye out for fallen change. Sometimes we snuck over to the board and penciled in outlaw red marks next to our mom's name. We had noticed that another woman was running several more miles per week than she was. It didn't seem right that someone else's mom would get to 100 first. One day— Having already penciled in an auspicious amount of mileage on our mother's behalf, Matt and I came out from the shadow of the bleachers and spontaneously began running. My first step came on planks of polished hardwood, with my little brother at my side. Our goal was a mile. It seemed an impossible distance.